Welcome to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we explore both Mormon thought and creedal Christian thought. I am very happy to have a dear brother here with us. He has written a chapter in a book called Sharing the Good News with Mormons, edited by Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Today we are looking at chapter 23 in this book, a book we will link to in the show notes, and it is titled, Are You Considered as Good as Jesus? The Imputation Approach. And of course, the context is Evangelism to LDS, written by none other than John Cower. Thank you so much for being here. Mm, I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And uh, for those that don't know, this man is a staple. He's a pillar of First Baptist Church Provo. And um, I'm just very grateful to look at this chapter. I think you did a great job. John? Thank you. What is justification? Indeed, what is imputation for those that don't know? Mm. Can I just read? Please. I brought a confession. Awesome. Since, you know, creedal is in the title Mm -hmm. of your show. Mm -hmm. We love it. So I just pulled this off the shelf here. Chapter 11 of the London Baptist Confession, 1689, Mm. states it. Now, there's a lot of words, but I think they're all good. So I think this is going to be good. God freely justifies the persons whom he effectually calls. He does this not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting them and accepting them as righteous. This does for Christ's sake alone. This he does for Christ's sake alone and not for anything wrought in them or done by them. The righteousness which is imputed to them, that is reckoned to their account, is neither their faith nor the act of believing nor any other obedience to the gospel which they have rendered, but Christ's obedience alone. Christ's obedience is twofold, his active obedience rendered to the divine law, the entire divine law, and his passive obedience rendered in his death. Those thus justified receive and rest by faith upon Christ's righteousness and this faith they have, not of themselves, but as the gift of God. That's a great answer. That is a great answer. Can you believe, like, people memorized that back then? I know. <laughs> we, we, we need to up our game in the modern era. Um, so based on that, especially for those that don't know, um, what does it mean to be justified? What part does Jesus play in it? Uh, John Calvin wrote, We explain justification simply as the acceptance with which God receives us into his favor as righteous men. And we say that it consists in the remissions of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And so the justification is in order for God to see you or consider you as good as his son, you're going to need more than just the expiation, more than just taking away the penalty for breaking his commandments. You need also his works. So I like the way the 1689 talks about active and passive obedience, and that's really popular in the Puritans. I don't know anybody speaks like that now. 
even expiation and imputation, usually not words that we're going to use. And I wouldn't use them out on the field. I would use take away for expiation, and I would use give you for imputation. I wouldn't even use those big words. Like, there's no point in that. Right. I don't want to confuse, mm-hmm. like, sound smart or whatever. Right. But. Even justification, uh, especially when dealing with LDS, it's not a term you ever hear. I guess we typically use the word, what, salvation more yeah. than that, but it's it's really the foundation of any view of salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, redeemed, reconciliation, those are financial terms. Mm-hmm. Adoption, a familiar term in the family. Uh, justification belongs in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. You know, you're either found righteous and you can go home that day, or you're condemned and you're, you're going to prison. There's, there's only two outcomes. I would say this is a break. This is a primary. Mm-hmm. Did they say something like primary, secondary, and then tertiary? tertiary. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there's, your, there's your fun yep. tertiary. Yeah, because, I mean, you get this but, wrong, it's a different gospel, right? I think so. Like, if I go to a Bible church, their, their doctrinal statement is probably, let me, bullet points. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like a fad, is let's get this thing down to, you know, maybe 10 sentences or less. Like who couldn't memorize their full doctrinal statement at that? But it will not have justification. I mean, let me throw the Baptist under the bus, I guess. The, West, uh, the uh, London, no, Baptist Faith and Message 2000 does not have anything to do with justification. They just totally take it out. Now, uh, I mean, it's right uh, I mean, I, I said that in a presentation one time, and then and a Baptist pastor said, well, it's not because we don't believe it. Well, yeah, I, I get that. But it's not even in there anymore. And so if... I, I think you need to know it. I mm-hmm. think it's important enough. And I think it's important enough to be in there. That's not something I would have excluded if if they asked me my opinion. But For sure. And because maybe it's because I'm more sensitive because we are working with a workspace. Uh, religion, and you. Matter of fact, just to say that you you could take my imputation approach to any workspace religion. You just kind of take you know you move things around a little bit, um, but the concept is still the same. Where are you going to get the good works to your account? The perfect works to your account, right? And are you going to come from you, <laughs> which is intrinsic, or are they going to come from somebody else, which is forensic? You know, outside of you, and that was that was uh, the reformers' contribution to bringing us back to Jesus, Paul. Yes, the writings, going back to the ancients. What, in your view, is the goal of evangelism to Latter Day Saints? Well, my goal to to evangelize the population that I'm living in, no matter where I go or what's going on, is to make God look good. I mean, that's the overall, what is the purpose of man is to glorify God. But to glorify him uh, in a way that you're you're proclaiming the excellencies of God. I mean, like as Peter says, you're, you're proclaiming his goodness, and there's something of value just in that. So make sure you're doing that. Um, and that's even some like a litmus. If somebody comes at you and says, well, I don't like your approach, or I don't like the way you do things, or, you know, well, run it through that and go, well, am I doing something that makes God look bad? Or am I doing something that makes him look good? Or That can help. That can be helpful. Because 
you know, being in ministry, not everybody's going to like everything you do. It's just, well, maybe they are. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think that's true of everyone. We can't be all things to all people. (laughs) Um, We are also commanded to do so. To, to go and do this. And, and so I think there's, there's that. Um, you're, but you are, and my hope is that they, they come to faith like right there. Yeah. While you're discussing the goodness of Christ, his character and attributes and what he has done on behalf of sinners, that somebody says, ooh, that's me. Could I, could I trust him? for that. And that is, that's the, that's the goal. Now, specifically to LDS and not in just general, I would hope the, the LDS person, uh, as we, if we walked away from the conversation and they have something to think about that they are thinking about just that topic, like where am I going to get the quality and quantity of works that are going to be approved by God? Like, if he put a standard, if he was grading my test, you know, I don't know if anybody uses Scantrons anymore. I am 50. So, <laughs> if you throw the Scantron in the machine, you're just, eh, 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 you know, mm-hmm. as it's marking the, yep. you know, is it going to go all the way through? No markings? Perfect. And I think that's, if I can show them in scripture, not just, you know, my ideas. There's not much use of that, so please bring your Bible and show them from the Bible that, yeah, it is by faith that Abraham was credited as righteous. He received the righteousness of Christ, even though the works hadn't been done yet, but they were credited to him. And Paul's saying, he's inviting us, be like Abraham. Um, Abraham's our example. Copy him. He just trusted God. He left Ur. He left his homeland. Uh, here's the sales pitch for coming to Utah. No. <laughs> Be like Abraham. No, you know, yeah. he left his family, left everything. You know the story. And then he gets there, and God makes that promise. And then he's like, I'm going to give you an heir. And he says, well, you know, and he listens to his wife. But that's, I'm not bringing that up for any reasons. But <laughs> And then they go off and, you know, try to do their own thing. Of course, Paul has something to say about that, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in Galatians as well. And then next couple of chapters, he gets he gets a baby, uh, you know, and then he has to cut off a piece of his manhood. And like in, in Genesis 17, it's like, you either cut that off or you're cut off. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, I love the literature. I love mm-hmm. the <laughs> Moses. Yeah. He's fun. But yeah, it's it's serious stuff to to follow God and he still had things to do. That's probably the, like, the number one thing that you get pushed back on is so you just pray a prayer and then that's it. And you don't do anything. And no, that would be so sad. And it's not scriptural. Right. It's not scriptural. This is not God did not redeem you from your sins so that you can continue to dishonor him. And badmouth them, blaspheme them. That just doesn't even logically make sense. Mm-hmm. Now he he puts you on the right path so that you could honor him and obey him, and make him look good. But you you have the spirit with you now. You've been born again now, uh, meaning 
your immaterial part of you, your spirit, your soul, your heart, your will, all of that is new. And I'd say even in some sense, your material part of you, the physical you is new. There's, there's something just radically changes when you become a follower of Christ that you can now do good and do, do evil as well. Yeah. The, often it, it kind of gets into this conversation of, are we saved by faith? Are we saved by works? And they'll point out all these works passages and we point out faith passages. How do we break through and bring out those distinctions that you read from the confession? Um, the, I think part of my frustration often is that even on the Christian side, we can be so unclear and make it almost sound like it's our faith that is saving. Mm-hmm. And we kind of reduce faith into a work when really we're trying to say we're saved by Christ through faith. It's, it's not, we don't have faith in faith. It's not like a virtue that we're trying to, you know, develop. Um, but it just, sometimes it gets so bogged down into this, you know, um, debate over words very imprecisely used. How, how have you attempted to break through that, especially when some of these interactions you have are very short? Mm. You know, we don't have all day to talk. Sometimes you get an hour. Sometimes you get an hour and a half. But, yeah, sometimes That's you great. get 10, 15. You know, you take take what you can mm-hmm. and just constantly be positioning yourself as I don't, I don't have to get in a hurry. I can mm-hmm. relax. The Holy Spirit is moving, then everything is going to go perfectly because that's how he operates. And if this person's just not ready, then that's so, so be it. Mm-hmm. Shake it off. Go on to the next person. I, I heard you on faith, though. I think you, you, you helped. And there's a, there's a good bit of Christianity that is still decisional-based regeneration. You know, and I think that that doesn't help in the conversation. I think in some way LDS, you could say, is decisional. Like, you decide. Mm-hmm. It's up to you to become a member of the LDS faith. So if you match that uh, reasoning with them and say, well, you're just faithing it. I guess if you're making it like a work. Right, you know, yeah. If you're just faithing it up, then I, I think maybe the LDS person is... Is, is interpreting that as, well, the only thing I have to do is the faith. And then from there they say, well, how do you experience, how do you express your faith? Well, it's a prayer. And so then it's, oh, so they come to the, the conclusion, oh, well, you're just talking about praying a prayer and then that's it. Yeah. So it's just the one word. But also I think it could possibly be is they already have the faith part. Faith is not... Uh, something that's absence from the LDS experience. So they have the faith part. So they could be thinking, well, I already have faith and I already mm-hmm. have faith in Jesus actually, John. Mm-hmm. So I already have what you're doing. Plus I have a lot of good ethical, moral works too. So I already have more than you. So I don't think you've really given them a place to repent to uh, because you'd be wanting to take all the good works that they're doing away from them. And that, that doesn't sound right. I mean, and then you say, well, the good works you're doing are actually evil, and so now you'd want to remove them. Yeah, you could go that direction. I find it a very offensive type 
discussion. I mean, you're first of all, you're going to have to go after their temple works, and that's supposed to be secret anyway. And so you're asking them to do something like violate their conscience and their oath to not even talk about it. But then what are you going to do with it when you get it out in the open? You're going to beat it with a bat? I mean, that's just not going to be right. effective. So yeah. I've just like, let's, where could we go? Where, where could we go and what could we talk about? And that's kind of how I landed there is seeing um, uh, pastors, seeing other people talk about, and it's no, it's by faith and it's not by works um, and having that debate. And it's just be trusting in Jesus. But when they, when they talk about trusting in Jesus, they don't get farther than expiation. They don't get farther than, well, it's the forgiveness of sins on the cross. So you need to, and they're telling the LDS person, you need to just trust that Jesus forgave you of your sins on the cross. And I mean, you could have the debate of whether it was in the garden or the cross, you know, but I think maybe the LDS person's like thinking, well, I already did that. I already did that, so you're not really giving me a place to repent to. I mean, that's that, if I was going to drive a point home to that conversation, is you have to give them a place to turn to. You can't just throw out, well, it's repentance and faith. Well, repentance of what? I mean, I, I have to prove to you that you have the wrong Jesus so that you could turn to the right Jesus? Okay, well, now we're working on something. Or I need to prove to you that your works aren't going to merit you anything before God because they're not perfect. And then, well, what if you could get perfect works from somebody else? So you see that? I'm, when I say repent, then I, I'm giving you a place to go to, which is what repentance means, you know, to turn. And so that's what I try to do in the argument is, is let them, you know, you're not here, you need to be there and do that well enough. And so that I would love for that to happen in every conversation of evangelism TLDS. So whether they are ready to make that decision now or they're going to mull that over or talk to God about it later on, and I never even hear about it, that's fine. Yeah. Another approach can be, well, whose works? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, well, whose works will avail before a holy God? Yeah. Because um, in a sense, we are saying we are saved by works. It's Christ's works, though, not yeah. our own. That's a great intro, too. Yeah. I'm uh, and I also use that. Um no, no, like when my opening sometime with a young man would be where did you serve a mission and he says it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know. Italy. Oh, did you meet any um Baptist where you were there? It doesn't really doesn't matter if he says yes or no. Yes, say. Oh, yes. I, well, or no, I met a lot of Catholics. Well, have you ever met have you ever talked to a Baptist? Yes or no. What did they say? Did they say and so then I'll I'll say I'll say this is where I want to get to is did they tell you that they were saved by works? And they'd be like, looking on their face, like, you know, I'm pretty sure they did not say that. <laughs> yeah. And then I say, well, I'm John, and I go to a Baptist church. So they they feel like that's a joke because I'm John the Baptist. You know, <laughs> they'll, they'll chuckle a little bit, so we'll start off with some humor. And I go, and I believe that I am saved by works. In In this chapter, you have this dialogue with Jim as an example. Take us through, in your mind, an ideal interaction. Of course, not, not meaning that we you know, are able to convince, but at what point do you think, okay, my job here is done? And that depends on the person. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it really does. And in the situation and where they're at, 
And so, yeah, you just got to stay prayerful through it, the whole thing, be patient, um, and, and work with them. So, I mean, if they're willing to continue to listen and read scripture and, and think, I'm, you'll stay, I'll stay, I'm stay. Christianity is a thinking man's religion. It is by the way. And so I do not, it doesn't surprise me at all that the spirit of God has to change your mind so that you could <laughs> begin to grasp the knowledge of the Father <laughs> and His power that He resurrected His Son with. And all, you know, that prayer in Ephesians. Yeah, you, it's going to take a brain that has been freed up to think, and then it's going to take years of hard work to just grasp grace and mercy. So to think that you're just going to uh, tell somebody all there is to know within an hour, it's just, yeah, no and they're going to get it. You, you know, you're, you're touching, you're doing some highlights, but uh, you, you would hope that it would actually work into a relationship called discipleship where they follow you as you're following Jesus, as you're both following Jesus and you're working with them and working through things and they're asking good questions, and yeah, and at some point they become born again. This imputation approach, how how are you prioritizing the information you have to share with this individual? Yeah, I just jump right into it if I can. Yeah. I do. I do. I just, you know, sometimes you, you just get the feeling of, yeah, this problem, this person probably needs a little warm-up, you know, and you chit-chat for a little bit. But yeah, I try to get into this and see if they want to talk about Jesus Sometimes I just, you know, hey, I'm John. I'm a Baptist from the local church, and we're out here to try to get a conversation about Jesus. You have some time to talk about Jesus. There you go. We're off and running. And that's why I only give uh, two scriptures. I didn't, I didn't put the scripture on the grace part, but the second, uh, second Corinthians five twenty one is is my go to, and then second Nephi twenty five twenty three. So I'm only have two scriptures, so you can you can rattle them off pretty quickly. The concept's easy. Once you get it all laid out, um, if that's all you have, then I rip it off. I rip the piece of paper off my tablet and I just give it to them and say, here you go. Compare them. And you can, you can just, you know, you can have that because he's ready to leave. He's giving you that body language. You'd like to leave. But if he, if he, uh, you know, if he or she kind of squares their chest or their body towards you and is leaning in and they're not going anywhere, then you can discuss some more verses like Romans 4, or Philippians 3. You can, uh, I mean, Psalm 118. There's a lot of verses actually that talk about wearing the robe of righteousness or having the righteousness of Christ applied to you. This is an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept. So you can go uh, prophecy. You can go poetry. There's all kinds of the genre. There's narrative. There's <laughs> an epistle. So you're going all over the Bible. It's throughout. It's 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 a it's a biblical theology mm-hmm. topic. I think that's very helpful for anybody really, but also for LDS that they are seeing you use your Bible, and that's that's like one of the number one comments, by the way, that we get from visitors here. That you know what's what's the difference between our worship services and and a lot of the uh, BYU students will say, well, you guys were using your Bible a lot. You're reading out of the Bible. You're preaching out of the Bible. You're you're going word for word. You're 
must have a real respect for the book. And I think that's a great place for them to take away is we're not a bunch of guys just thinking up thoughts, mm-hmm. but we're reading a very ancient text as if it's the truth and we're living by it. And we say, thus says the Lord, we mean it. We really believe he, he said it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I want to do that with second Nephi twenty five twenty three for them. I mean, if it says that you're saved by grace, then you are. And if it says you're saved by grace, after all you can do, then it must mean that. Yeah. Like, take it as face value. What does it mean? And then what is its implications? Well, then it must be you're here to do a certain percentage of work. Maybe you are going to get 85%, and Jesus just needs to give you 15. It has to equal 100. So watch the math. Maybe you're just like, ah, uh, it's got to be a lot of Jesus. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to need 90% Jesus. So then it's only going to be 10 to you. I, you know, I'll take either one of those answers. doesn't really matter. We can work with it. Uh, but they need to walk away going, okay, I'm different. I'm, I'm different. I am going to be trusting in 100% Jesus. doesn't mean I'm not going to get baptized. doesn't mean I'm not going to pray tithe, love my brothers and sisters, um, not cheat on my wife. I mean, all of that stuff that you're doing, I'm going to do. You're doing some stuff I wouldn't do. But the point is, we're all going to be doing something after we we are born again and justified. That's not really the question. Is what, what are you trusting in? Is it a cooperation between you and Jesus, or is it all of Jesus? For the most part, I don't really hear too many people from the LDS community say it's all of Jesus. If they give me that answer, then I probably go negative. Kind of a, well, what I mean by that is I'll probably just go to Philippians 3 at that point and go, well, look at what Paul had to say about his, his works as a Jew. And I think they parallel. When you're in Philippians 3, I had I would have comments about um, several verses, but just to keep keep where we're going, uh, he says um, there's a lot of people out there that have confidence in the flesh. I mean, he, he doesn't have any good words for them. He calls them evildoers, uh, mutilators of the flesh. But um, and then he says I have I have more. And then he goes into the, the list, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, again, I already comment about that. If you're a Jew man and you didn't get circumcised, well, you did not have a good start. So this is, this is like the gate. Uh, you started off on the eighth day and got circumcised. And, you know, that's your parents doing it for you. But uh, of the people of Israel, so he's of the right nation, Either, even of that, he knows what tribe he comes from, Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, uh, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So I would hope that the LDS person could go, hmm, I chose the right religion, people of Israel. They even think they're Jews, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> tribe of Benjamin, maybe their last name is a popular important LDS last name. 
Could be. Uh, Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, I'm a Mormon of a Mormon. I'm, I'm LDS. I'm really a sold out uh, LDS person. Pioneer stock. There you go. Thanks. Um, and, and then as to law, a fair, like I'm, when I go for my interview with the bishop, you know, we ended up talking about football or something because I don't have any sins to talk about. I'm just, I'm just doing good. I'm doing everything. I'm checking the boxes. I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to and not doing any of the not supposed to. So that's basically what Paul is saying about himself. And then he has a hard contrast there. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. He says that three different times and always for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then here's this righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I would hope that an LDS person, after you've drawn this little diagram, can see that, well, I considered my prayer life and my temple work and my baptism as, as works according to the law. I mean, it's not, it's not according to Mosaic law. There's not no according tempo, to an inspired law. But, <laughs> yeah. but their law. But their equivalent. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, if, it, if, if going to the temple is what you're supposed to be doing, well, mm-hmm. I would suspect that you'd be doing it like yep. probably once a week twice or three times a week, like as much as you could. Um, They'd have to kick you out of the place. (laughs) Uh, And then again, hard contrast, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, or I believe exactly what you're believing, then I have not communicated repentance very well. I haven't given a place to go to. That's what they're telling me is I already believe what you're, I'm already there. I'm already in the square that you're in. I'm like, oh no, well, you're either lying to me or you didn't understand me, which is, that's what I would say in my head. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Uh, And then I'd have to go back around and go, okay, let's do Philippians 3. Now what I mean by that is, so when, when a Jew says, I count my circumcision as nothing, I think that's the equivalent, correct me if I'm wrong, for an LDS person to say my baptism means nothing. Is that is that an equivalent? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty as fair as can be. Like when did you start becoming a Jew, Paul? Well, I was circumcised <laughs> on the eighth right. day. Mm-hmm. Like when did you become LDS? A lot of the people baptism. will point, yeah, they'll mm-hmm. point to that. That decision I made, third grade, eight years old. Yep. That's when everything turned around. Mm-hmm. Everything, to the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yep. There you go. There you go. Um, that's there. Um, that's exactly what is there in their articles of faith. If we're reading our articles, we could read theirs. Compare. Yeah, please. I mean, their article um, three, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. And we would agree at that point, mm-hmm. I think. Uh but they add to that by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And so if it's a by, by, that indicates means. If the means in which that atonement of Christ is going to save you is you need to obey, let's say, Mosaic laws. 
we still should not agree to that. So yeah. I mean, even if we can argue, so that's even a revealed law. That's that's back to that point of well, we could we could argue about your uh, temple works not being in the Mosaic law, and so then therefore I'm not held accountable for it or something. But just given on the value, I would not even say that if it was obedience to laws that I would agree to, not disagree. You know, so that's not even the. the but for them, it's uh, it's more than one law, it's plural, and more than one ordinance. It, things need to happen. Lots of things need to happen before mankind is saved through that atonement. I cannot agree to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that is, is going to save me. I don't think it's going to save them. And they do give at least four um, things that need to happen. I think, the, okay, these are ordinances. So you might be asking, well, what's an ordinance of the gospel? Uh, Article 4 says we believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is that fourth point that you kind of maybe reminded me? And so, yes, at that point, you would have had to, at eight, and an LDS person would have to say, I have faith in Lord Jesus. I have repented of my sins. They receive baptism for the remission of the sins. And then they get the, the hands laid on them of the priesthood. The men qualified to do that. And then they get the Holy Ghost. That is that pivotal point, I think. So if I have somebody that says, I believe everything you do, I'm the same Christian you are, then that's probably where I would go and say, do you mean that you've considered your baptism as a waste of time and you need to do it over again? Like, waste of time is probably a nice way of saying it. Compared to what Paul, Paul said it in a, like, really vulgar. He used the yeah. Greek word scubaloon, which is poo. It's, yeah. Like a pile well, of dog stuff in your backyard. <laughs> like We could say even a cuss word. That... <laughs> yeah, I probably just cussed on your show in, in Greek. Yeah, in I Greek. am so sorry. But it gets the point across, <clears throat> right, that whose works, yes, it's forgiveness of sin, but as you point out in your chapter, even assuming Christ paid for your sin, that does not take you all the way to being counted as righteous. Mm-hmm. This is a point I think even many Christians may get wrong, right? Mm-hmm. That brings you to the point, I believe you call it, of being neutral. The question is, what's going to avail before a holy God? And whose works can you trust in? Even, even after, let's say, a, a real baptism in the name of the triune God, right? Mm-hmm. Whose works mm-hmm. are we trusting in? Is it Christ's work? that we receive by faith or is it our own works that we're what doing by our own faithfulness, I guess it might be a way of putting it. And I think that's probably some of the confusion that it's happening when I visit or when I talk about this concept to other Christians is they thought, well, I started off and I prayed to God and he said yes and accepted me and gave me forgiveness of sins. And then now it's up to me to live that holy life, yeah. you know, and that could be a pretty hard burden to always be thinking, eh, have I done enough? 
and um, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to live like that. You, you shouldn't be trusting in your attendance even after you've received forgiveness of sins. That that's, that's not how it works either. So that's a good point. Again, if you don't have a healthy kind of definition of justification, or if you're not preaching that um, it's forgiveness of sins and his work from the pulpit, if you're not hearing that, then yeah, you you might be living a Christian life thinking, well, it's up to me to do the good works now. I got to keep in good standing. Like he he let me in the club, but I've got to keep you know paying my dues and showing up and doing the workouts, and and that could be a burden. Whereas if if you're hearing it from the pulpit, um, if you're hearing it from your pastor that it is the good works of Christ applied to you. Uh, you are considered 100% righteous. I mean, the the implication is you could go into the throne room at this point. You think you're going to throw up? You throw up? If you you might throw up actually. If you think you're going to get into the throne room of God and pray a prayer, and He's going to hear it and accept it. I mean, could you even be there more than a millisecond? Isaiah was complaining that I think I'm coming undone. I think every fabric of my being is just about to explode. Yeah. So in order to be that close to something, something, someone that holy, maybe it's like being in a room with some, some radioactive material. It's dangerous. Yeah. You need to suit up. And so you, you suit up because, well, you suit up with Jesus. So Jesus' righteousness is keeping you covered and protected and you're in his presence and you're not being burned up and you're not being, you know, exploding into a million pieces and, and he's actually come, come into the room, be with me, you can stay. And he's saying this because he knows he's, he's, he's dangerous. I don't know. I don't want to, he's terrifying. He's a consuming fire. <laughs> Like this is, this is not a puppy. Mm -hmm. He, you know, and he's saying, come. So it's just beautiful. That's a, that's the father says, come on in and, and what's your concerns and let's talk about them and you can leave them here and we can talk as long as you want. And since he's in all places at all times in the same amount, he can have hundreds, if not thousands, if not a trillion brothers and sisters in the same room, all talking at the same time. And it's as if he is just talking to you and listening to you because he doesn't have physical ears to impair this. You know, if you're, if your God has physical ears, he can only hear one thing at a time, really, maybe two, maybe three, but come on, give him a couple of thousand voices. No. That's not how human ears work. But if he if he doesn't, if he's beyond that, if he's the God of the Bible, he, he can. And so that's some of the implications of of imputation. That's of wearing the righteousness of Christ and being in his presence and being safe. And you'll you'll always be wearing it. It's not that he says, Well, I'll give it to you today, but if you do something terrible, then take that off. He's not like that. That would not be a giving God. 
if he's going to give it to you and then take it back. That's, that's not the arrangement. Um, you're a part of a, a promise. You're a part of the new covenant, and that's the new part of the new. There's lots of new part of the new, but that's one of them, is that you are his people, and he is your God, and that will go on forever. Nothing is going to change that. And that's the that's the place I want people to repent too. I want to come into that. If if you think that is better. So that's what I'm trying to do is explain that in a way that that is very beautiful and a very and a great place to be. Oh, but Skylar when they don't accept it you're like it hurts. What? Like what did I do wrong? Yeah, it it's striking to me like even in that Isaiah passage you brought up, that as Isaiah realizes where he is, who God is, God still provided a means for him to be there, right? He had to wait for God to bring, you know, through the angel, right, to bring the coal or whatever it was that cleaned his lips. Touched his lips. Yeah, and it's so, once again, it's like where is our, trust you know it's i love the story of jesus washing the feet especially when we realized that at the time jewish slaves couldn't even be forced to do this right only gentile slaves could be um forced to wash feet Hmm. and yet here jesus is going to wash right the disciples feet and peter peter uh says, let's see, where is it right here in, in John 13, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, you know, thinking, oh, he's, he's, <laughs> you're the Lord. I know who you are. You're the Messiah, you know. No, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Mm, we, we know your trick. Uh-huh. I got right. the right answer. Exactly. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash <laughs> you, you have no share with me. And that's when Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head, um, it, this is something Christ is doing to us and we can rest in his work. And that's why, you know, week to week, even in church and worship and all that with all the sin that's left, right. That we're working through in the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. It never questions that foundation we're on. You know, uh, I, I like, I think it's Michael Horton that pointed out that justification. It's like, getting married in the sense that, yeah, your marriage is going to have ups and downs and all that. But if you're resting on that foundation, that that original commitment, you know, you're able to work through those things. And I think that's, you know, the Christians trials in life in, in trying to what outgrow the old man Mm. and live more in line with the, the savior who has saved us we still aren't trusting in those good works, you know, mm-hmm. and we're still, because we didn't earn it by our good works, we can rest assured that we're not losing it by the lack of those good works either. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's coming out of a loyalty <laughs> to Christ rather than a, somehow of trying to earn that, you know, what love relationship, whatever else we want to say. Um, that distinction between justification and sanctification, not only was it, of course, the dividing line um, between the reformers and, and Rome, it, that's a distinction that's completely lost with 
most LDS people that yeah. we encounter. And it's so, well, what's your story of becoming a Christian? <clears throat> were, you, were you raised in a Christian household? Where, I, mean, I was not. I was not. I do come from an LDS uh, family. All of my aunts and uncles and cousins uh, are LDS. Wow. Um, my father um, had a couple of things against him. Uh, well, he also liked the ladies, but he smoked Marlboros and drank Coors. Okay. Like all the time. <laughs> so, and that was, I think that's probably still a no-no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would say. So he, he didn't make a good... A, a good um, member of the church. And so he, he actually moves from a small community where you pretty much had to be LDS in order to buy food for your animals, sell your animals. I mean, they, they kind of lock it up economically. He would have had a hard time staying in uh, Idaho and salmon in that area if he wasn't LDS. Um, but he moves to Texas and he basically says, there is a God and he's watching you, so behave. Mm. That was the extent of my theological training as a child. But uh, uh, so I run the same uh, course as he does, and I love money, and I love women, and those are my goals in life, is to accumulate uh, as much as both. And I was miserable and uh, greedy, and um, an adulterer. Like, there's there's a line in a rap song by KB. So, and I'm like, oh gosh, that's me. And the title of the song is Monster. I was a monster. Do not, I mean, the, the, the line in the song, so I'm like, don't leave your girlfriend with me. That's the kind of guy I was. And, um, and couldn't stop. That that's in. Couldn't stop smoking, and I couldn't stop being with the ladies. And do you know God gave me the first victory over that addiction to show me His power, so that I would beg Him for the second addiction. So I'm living with a very beautiful woman. She's uh, got a great job. She's making six figures, and this is like 1998 when that was a lot of money. Um, she's an older lady, got some couple of teenagers. And so I'm about to have this beautiful woman who makes lots of money all by myself. I'm looking pretty good, right? Everything's set up here. No way I'm leaving. That's my point. Not going to leave this situation. Her dad um, didn't like me, knew I wasn't going to marry her. And this wasn't going anywhere, that I'm a worthless dude. And he's right. <clears throat> so he tries to convince her to throw me out. She won't have anything of it. So he goes to the second plan of, well, maybe you guys need to come to church with me. And so Tammy's like, okay, let's go to church. And I'm like, okay, if that's all it takes for me to, you know, keep living with your daughter is to go to church. Okay, fine, let's do it. And the church was uh, pretty nice about it. And they just told me how to be a Christian. I'm sure they were telling me the gospel, but I remember more stuff like, um, this is what Christians do. They read their Bible. And so Tammy and I look at each other and go, I don't own one. Do you? Nope. So we got to go buy one. So this is the day of, you know, books. So <laughs> you can't just download an right. app. So we got to go to a Christian bookstore and mull around like, I don't know, which Bible is it? So, yeah. So we buy one and we go home and read it because that's what the pastor told Christians to do. And I want to be a Christian. So I'm reading my Bible now. 
And then the next sermon is like, you know, um, you need to pray. All right, me and Tammy are praying before we eat. Uh, what else? You need to go to work and talk to people about Jesus and be forgiven and trust in him to forgive you of your sins. So I'm at work. And the, the real Christians are like, what are you talking about? What is this? What's this new stuff? You know, and they're trying to <clears throat> tell me a little bit more and, and they're trying to work where I'm at. And, you know, I'm slowly. So anyway, um, then then Scott Jones uh, preaches um, this sermon about, you know, if if there's anything that you're addicted to, come up here and let's pray about it. And nobody shows up. Now these are this is a big church. There's like two thousand people in the auditorium, and nobody had any addiction to bring to the forefront. I'm like, okay, but Tammy did. Tammy wanted to quit smoking. She hated that, um, and so she's like, "Come with me and let's quit smoking." And I said, "Tammy, I'm fine. I like me some Camel Lights. <laughs> I don't want to quit." And so I, here I am. I don't want to quit. I have no desire to quit, but I'll go up there with you. It's so embarrassing. And she takes her pack of cigarettes and she puts them right on the, on the steps. We had like little steps to the, to the stage. And uh, I think a little girl ran over and grabbed them. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> this is... This is wheels off. Anyway, too much detail. Get to the point. When my knees hit the steps, I came up with this. God, if you are real, then you made me. And if you made me, you can make me to not want to smoke anymore. If you exist... I don't know. So I, I don't even think it was really that, that good of a prayer. But do you know that I had zero desire to smoke after that? Right? Remember, when I'm sitting in the pew, I'm like, I don't have a, I'm, I'm a fine being a smoker. But a two minutes later, oh, no, I have no desire at all to smoke. And so I didn't. I do not know what it's like to quit smoking. Like the pains of yeah. wanting a cigarette, I have zero. I have that, no experience for that. That's amazing. It is amazing, but it ruined me. How so? And six weeks later, I grab a Winston off my stepmother, and I get about two drags off of that thing, and my throat closes, and I think I'm gonna suffocate. Like Hulk Hogan has a grip on my neck. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? You remember I said, if God, you're real. Well, he said, well, I am and I could by my mercy because you don't deserve me to take away cigarette smoke. You know, I deserve the punishment of emphysema is really what I deserve. I mean, <laughs> if you want to think. But he's not giving me emphysema. He's not giving me lung cancer. He's giving me freedom from that addiction. But now... There's a God that I have to reckon with, and that destroys me. I can't think of anything else but what do I do now? It, it doesn't become, it, it just transforms from, well, I want to be a Christian, 
they say you have to read your Bible and pray and talk about Jesus and stuff. Ooh. So fast forward a couple more weeks and they tell me the other thing I have to do. Now this is uh, back in the nineties when you had mega churches and uh, I can't remember the pastor of Willow Creek, but he's friends with my pastor and uh, they come up with this idea of cell groups, community groups, or basically what do you do with two, 3000 people? You have to break them down into smaller groups so they have some kind of intimacy and some accountability. And so you start these community groups. I don't know what they're called at your church, but um, I, I guess it'd be basically Sunday school. But at any rate, we had to be in one of these home groups that meet during the week, and it's divided geographically. So I think LDS people can identify this. <laughs> we were supposed to go to the one in short elementary so if you lived near that elementary school, that's the one you go to. The problem is it was a married group. And Tammy and I were not married. So we keep looking down the list. Now, Skylar, they do have a singles group. But would you say we belong there? Because we're not single. We're dating. So we need a cohabitation group. And thank the Lord, this church didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some you may indeed they may accommodate. In yeah, some churches. Mm, they didn't have one, so that yeah. that's a problem. Because in order to be a Christian, you got to join one of these groups, and we have we want to be Christians, so we have to join a group. We wrestled over that. I mean, it seems so silly to say this, but so Tammy's praying, and she's thinking we're going to get married. And I'm praying, going, I I don't know. I just want to please you, God. What do I do? What do we do? And and it wasn't audible. He didn't, you know, it, he talked to me without using my ears, I think. I don't know. It's only happened twice. But I cannot get the the two words out of my head. When I sit down to read the Bible and when I pray, I feel like God is saying, get out. That's it. And I can't get, I can't shake it. It goes on for weeks. Get out. Yeah, I know. But can we talk about something else? I wanted to talk about my work or my raise or, you know, can we talk about something? Get squirming. out. Like, <laughs> I'm like a broken record. Get out. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get out. She's beautiful not thinking well i don't know you could marry her then that was not coming out it was just get out apparently god didn't want me to marry tammy so i go to tammy and i think tammy i am just wrecked i think god's telling me to get out and she said then do it she owned the house she had all the cards she had all the money she's everything and so I'm like, whoa, 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 back it up, back, you know, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. <laughs> she's not having anything of it. I think she's being led by God to do this and kick me out. And then I came circling back around for, well, what if we dated? She shut me down. She said, no, you get out. You've got two days. By the weekend, I want you gone or I'm calling the police. 
So I'm back in my truck and I'm bawling. I can't even drive because I've got my tears in my eyes. And it's not because I don't have a place to stay. You can find places to stay. No, I'm bawling because now I realize, oh no, what am I going to do with this addiction? Because just because Tammy broke up with me doesn't mean I can't find somebody else to move in with and to continue this cycle. And I can't stop that. No more than I could quit smoking. And so I, I think that's probably when I was born again. Maybe. I mean, I'm just bawling. God, is there any way you could do it again and cure me of my addiction? my sexual addiction, because I know there's no way that I can please you when I'm doing it, when I'm doing this lifestyle, and I don't want to go back to this lifestyle, and I'm a wreck, and so I land uh, in an apartment, no problem. Shelter is not a problem for God. He can find any place to stay. And then I think, man, I would like to say I was in the singles group the next Sunday. <laughs> no? Like, oh, good. I found a community group. <laughs> I can be a Christian now. <laughs> and I remember there was a man, Wes Kelly, and he's he's just, you know, just hanging out on the fringes. And we're like, mm, hey, mm, hey, you're new? Yeah. I'm John. Wes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, ooh, I'm sticking close to this guy. Like, he's, he's not requiring anything of me. I don't, you know. <laughs> and uh, just... And I just, then I meet another guy and another guy, and there's like 25 guys. And a lot of them are 30-year-old virgins. So they're like the opposite of me. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Well, I started my relationship with God when I was like 10. So he changed me, and he gave me the, I just, yeah, I've never been with a girl. I'm just like, I don't even know. There was people that existed like you, like I was just so, and they, and they accepted me. I mean, they, they could have said, no, you're, you're just too vile and gross and, and, you know, but they understand Christianity like anybody else that, yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we're all gross uh, before the eyes of God compared to Jesus. We are all just terrible, gross people. And I have to remember that that, yeah, I was once like them. I mean, I didn't struggle with uh, homosexuality, but I did struggle with lust. So you don't have to be struggling with the exact same, but you can be in that category. And I think let them know that you're in that category, that I still struggle with lust. So I'm, it's just it's one sinner talking to another. I did find Jesus. I did find... Some help. I found some power that I didn't have before. That's different, but there's, there's there should never be like there. You you should never think of yourself in another classification of human. Yeah, sin is a state a condition in which we all share. Uh, it's not those people versus us people. Yeah. Um, frankly, this ties in even to what we were saying earlier in terms of what is the church. You know, is it boot camp for the perfectible? Is it a hospital of the sick? Hmm. And I think our 
clarity or lack thereof on justification will impact how we view that. Hmm. But so you're, you're now in the singles group. Mm -hmm. You're now being confronted with a God who is changing you. At some point you go to Dallas Theological Seminary. So how do you get from, you don't want anything to do with God to studying in a seminary? Hmm. Well, it was, it was three years uh, in the singles group uh, before I marry. And he gave me just like about 90%. You know, I still lust. I still see a beautiful woman and I have to say, no, don't go there. But um, I have ways to deal with it now that it doesn't honor her. It doesn't honor God. Is not why he gave me a brain so that I can do that. There's not, you know, think about something else. You have somewhere to go that's um, that's that can glorify God. Where before you don't, and even if you're in like some help self help group or something, you know, I guess you're supposed to go to your happy place. But um, how about go to Christ? Yeah. You know, I'd rather just let me think about you rather than this. So all the ladies become sisters. Sisters in Christ, but you know they're they're like sisters of mine, so they're friends, and we hang out and we do things with each other, and we giggle and we laugh, but we don't hold hands, we don't kiss, we don't hug, we we don't um, talk dirty to each other. You know, there's like these boundaries that are just so natural and wholesome and awesome, and so I think that I'm going to be in that state forever, and and I'm loving it, and I don't think anything about it. Like marriage and dating and stuff doesn't even enter my mind. I really, he was giving me three years of purity, which was only three years. It would have been great if I had 30, right? But <laughs> there were three really awesome years. And there wasn't a lot of marriage in the group, actually. We were all just hanging out. We were learning about Jesus. We were learning about his sovereignty. We were learning about how to deal with this and the job and... Um, I buy a townhome with another guy with a similar story, Brian. Uh, he came to Christ late. He had also messed around with some ladies, you know, same kind of story. And we're like, Ugh, let we, we need accountability. Let's just buy a place and move in. And we'll use it for Bible study. We'll use it for our weekly studies. And we did, and we we're just going to be single forever. And do you know, um, God came to me again and he said, why don't you date? And at first I said, that's got to be the devil because dating is evil. You're going to end up doing something with the lady that you're not supposed to do. Don't put yourself in that place. Like, if you have a problem with drinking, don't go to the bar. Duh. Just, yeah. It's just simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if your mind wants to go places, then yeah. So, and then, um, and then a couple of weeks after that, it's like, once you date to marry. Okay, but... I don't really want to I don't really have a desire for this, but I can't shake it again. This is the only two times that this has happened to me. And so I go to my buddies and go, I don't know. This, what do you think about dating to get married? And they're like, yeah, that's how, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's how Why it did works. You, <laughs> yeah. You're not just supposed to like, this is not Baskin Robbins. <laughs> you know, can I taste the bubble gum? Like, I only got one piece of bubble gum. Can I have another taste where I get like three or four pieces of bubble gum? 
Mm. Oh, the Jamal Gum and Fudge now, you know, no, it's like just so I think it's called courting, maybe old fashioned. So I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to do this. I don't really want to do this, but but you know what? If if this is what you have for me, God, if this is what you want for my life, then then I need to do this. So it's not that I didn't come willing. Um, I, he he got me on board pretty quickly, but uh, yeah, it's. I think I needed to be able to handle those feelings in a God honoring way and do it in a God honoring way. So I'm like, this is a new experience. I really don't know about dating. And Laurie's there, and she's just she likes me, and she wants she wants to date me, and I want to date her. And I'm like, Laurie, I've had some bad experiences. Could we not hold hands? Can we not kiss? Can we not even touch each other? Like, I'm going to need some serious boundaries. She's like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Really? Okay, good. Wow. Like, do yeah. not <laughs> consent. Like, consent is the gate. It opens up all kinds of, you know, well, she said it was okay. And that does not make it okay just because a lady says it's okay. Consent is not, you know, that'll get you down trouble. Anyway. So she's on board. We're on board. I'm talking to her dad. I'm like, I, I really like your daughter. I want to date her. But I plan to get married. Like, we plan to get married. That's the purpose of this dating is not, we're not playing around. We're going to court, uh, court each other, but we're planning on getting married. You know, is that okay with you? And he's like, yeah, that's okay. And and I'm I'm pretty sure he probably thought, I don't know if this guy's good enough for my daughter. Who's ever good enough for your daughter, right? But He's going along with it. So we're going along. So anyway, she's going to Dallas. and She's uh, already attending She's Dallas. already attending Dallas okay. Theological Seminary because her dad taught there. He taught evangelism for like 20 years. Wow. And so, and he's on faculty. He's helping um, Spanish-speaking students get their PhD. And so she's getting 75% off at a really good school. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good school. Anyway. And, uh, and I'm learning what she's learning and I'm like, yeah, we want to get married. And so she, she says, you know, well, I want to continue my education. I want to graduate. Is that okay? And I'm like, baby, you're hot. You can, <laughs> you know, you are holding all the cards, you, you name it, whatever it takes. Right? Um, I actually asked her to marry me like three times before she said yes. So persistence. Yeah. I really thought it was, you know, this is what you say. I think it's God's will that we get married. <laughs> but I really felt like he's leading the whole thing and it's going to happen. And uh, I'm going to, it's going to be new. I'm excited. I love it. I love marriage. I'm so glad he talked me into it. Um, I'm glad I'm not single. Um, for so many reasons. She's such a good friend and such a good ministry partner. And she's learning everything, really good stuff. And, and DTS for, for all it's good or bad, but they, they make you take seven classes of biblical exposition, you know, so they're not, they're not huge, you know, we're going to do um, all of the Old Testament in one class, and then all of the New Testament in another class, and like yeah. surveys, or, you know, this is not that kind of um, education. Um, they're, they're, there were seven different Bible exposition classes that we had to take. So they lumped, obviously, they lumped some books together, like all the prophets together and stuff, but... Um, there's, um, seven classes of theology. And so sanctification was a class all by itself. Soteriology all by itself, theology of God all by itself. You know, you're getting a lot of time. And so I'm really liking 
her education. So I put her through. Um, well, you know, my first missionary trip was 2002 Winter Olympics. As a single man, me and Brian come out here, wow. and we uh, bundle up, and we get cold. We're out for like eight hours a day, passing out tracks and trying to talk to people about Jesus. We really don't know what we're doing. We're just praying our way through it. We do it for all week long, and I loved it. And we met some other people, and they said, well, if you like this, you need to come back to Manti. And I'm like, what's a Manti? <laughs> like, well, it's a place, and we all gather, and we do this exactly same thing. Uh, we witnessed LDS people before the Manti pageant. And so I come back, and uh, Lori's involved. But, and then by then, 2003, we're married. So she's getting an education. I'm getting introduced to short-term missions. It's all happening all at the same time. Obviously, to me, that God is just pushing us straight into missions, and he wants me to be married. So he wants to send me out to Utah to witness to Mormons for a lifetime, and he wants me to do it with a mate. And he's lining everything up. And I can't really see it, but he's got it all. I can see it now because I'm looking back 20 years later. (laughs) Looking back 20 years ago, whoa, you were so good to me. I deserve none of this. And 20 years of marriage um, with with an awesome wife is a real blessing. She's getting a good education. I want a good education. So she's like, well, well, baby, I'll go get a job, and then you go to DTS, but make it, make it quick. So I quit my job. I go straight in. I've been an auditor uh, for the state of Texas. Great job. And I tell my boss, I can't do this anymore. Um, I got to go. I got to – I'm – I got to go be a missionary to, to Mormons, I guess. And I got to do it with some education. And so I'm going to take my savings and go to DTS and get some education. And I'm going to try to be helpful to the church when I get out there to Utah. And I just move out here. I don't raise any money. I tell my local church I'm going and they're like, oh, I can see that. You should go. Um, you love evangelism. You've been doing it at the local church. You've been going door to door and talking to, you know, Baptists. Everybody's a Baptist in Texas, by the way, if you didn't know that. They haven't gone to church since they were five, but they're Baptist. <laughs> and you're just like, mm. so they got the same problem as they think they're saved in, in Texas, but they're not. It's the same problem. You're just like, you got to get them to lost before you can get them saved. Uh, you, can do edu- you can do evangelism in Texas just as easy as here. You can be a missionary there. There's, you know, you don't really have to move out here to do that. But we felt we wanted to come to the LDS people. Yeah. So was it during the Olympics that you felt this kind of calling toward LDS in particular, or was it before that? Well, we were, Brian and I were just like, we don't care where we go. We just want to go somewhere because we're, we're 28 years old. Yeah. We're, we're introduced into a community that these, these Christians have gone on mission trips. They Mm -hmm. have stories of something they've gone somewhere and done something and brian and i have not done anything we're like we need a story so we can gather around the campground and go oh let me tell you about being out and how cold it was and how you know being rejected and um i remember one conversation was with a businessman he was all dressed up and uh, i think he worked for a corporation there downtown um, and, uh, we're talking about Jesus and stuff. And, and, uh, at one point he looked at me and said, there's no way that I could be accepted because I'm gay. 
there's no way he can accept that lifestyle. There's no, there's no hope for me, you know? And he didn't say it as a, like, I'm, I'm proud and I'm, I've stumped you. But in a way, I think he was saying it as there is no hope for me. And I'm feeling it even in my own uh, church. I'm feeling it in all my own circles. This is, this is uh, 2002, so it's not popular like it is today to come out. And I just thought, I was just impactful about this is powerful. This is something you don't mess with. This is people's souls. These are people's eternity, destiny. This is people's lives. And he's bringing his issues and saying, God can't help me in that. This is really like, I want to do more of this. Of course, my answer was, oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. He can do plenty with that. Um, you, you're never too lost for, for God to bring you around. The, God, the Holy Spirit, finds you exactly where you're at, at exactly the right time. And he applies what Christ has accomplished. That's right. Quoting the title from John Murray. Great book. And uh, if you haven't read that little piece, read it. It's, it's great. We'll put it in the show notes. Redemption, wow. accomplished, and applied. Presbyterian, right? Uh, yeah. In fact, he was mm-hmm. one of the first professors at Westminster. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all waiting. It's all waiting for you. It's all part of that new covenant, and it's going to be applied to you, and he knows exactly. And if you get to be a part of that, that's powerful. I want to do that. I want to be in the action when that happens. And I wish this, it happened more often, but mm-hmm. that's what I fell in love with, and I wanted to do that. And and I guess LDS people as any other people. I mean, I don't have a, an aptitude for foreign language, so going to India wasn't an option. I could <laughs> yeah. go to Utah because they do speak English. <laughs> yes, and it is foreign. <laughs> <laughs> I, so was this a f- mutual feeling between you and your wife? Lori wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country. She was born in Madrid. Her family was missionaries uh, to Spain. Mm-hmm. Hence the Spanish-speaking angle yeah. to the DTS job. Yeah, yeah. There's a like a documentary about Segovia where there was no Christian churches at all in Segovia, and Ron shows up at a time where uh, Christians were praying, and he's the white guy, and he's he had a huge evangelistic outreach and people are Catholics are being saved and he's having a Bible study in his house and Catholics are being saved and he, he plants a church in Segovia. Wow. And so he's listed as one of the key players uh, by the Segovia church today. Of course, you know, they, God carried it along, you know, from, from Ron's contributions. But um, Lori has a love for the Latin people and uh, a friend of ours said, well, you know, Laurie, um, the statistics are that the 51% of the LDS church is going to be speaking Spanish by like, I don't know, it was like 2010 or something. It wasn't too far around the corner. And, you know, and she's like, you know, I, it would be my, but as, as my wife, I'm supposed to follow my husband. If my husband wants to go to Utah, then we'll go to Utah. So she was, it, it wasn't her first choice. But she knew that it was the choice, and she needed to be happy with it, and she was. Mm-hmm. She was. God kept sending her Hispanics out on the streets of Manti, and all the, you know, all of us were really 
I can say dumb. We're dumb. If you don't speak more than two languages, you're just dumb. So <laughs> we should learn more than <laughs> like two the rest languages. of the world speaks two, I, three, I four. You know. Yep. And here we are. Well, I have a bachelor's degree in finance. Yeah. yeah. And people are like, duh. I've got that, and I speak four languages. <laughs> and I'm from France. You know. Like, right. So how? Do, but how anyway, do you, how do you? Oh, sorry, sorry. So he's just God brings you along with that. He, 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 he gives her Spanish-speaking people that are Mormon, and none of us on the street can speak Spanish. Like, Lori, come over here. And so she says, you know what? I'm helpful. I'm helpful in evangelism. I'm helpful to the church. I get it. Let's go. Okay. So how do you get hooked up with this church in particular, First Baptist Church of Provo? So we come out in 2008, and my, my boss, the guy I'm working with, Timothy Oliver, my mentor, he had already started a church in San Quentin. Okay. So it's like about 15 of us and we're all huddled around and we do that for about four years. And then, um, Susie, his wife wants to move to Singapore to be close to her grandkids. And so Timothy is gone. And I took a real hard look at that and go, do I really want to be pastor? Is that really my passion? And I came up with a no, but I'm like, well, I'll take it to the church. And so the, I said, church, you really feel like I should be the pastor? Should we keep this going? And nobody said yes. So, <laughs> like, no, we don't really see you as the pastor type. And there are other churches that we can go. And so we, we disband. So that was the first church failure I wow. was a part of. There will be more. There's more. <laughs> so, wow. so uh, we end up at Crossings, another Southern Baptist church down the road. And they're Calvinistic and... Um, but they don't have a pastor. Their pastor was, uh, he, he he signed on for three years at NAM, and the money went away, and he left. He was just not willing to stay, not willing to take a second job. Just, so he's he's gone. And, um, and so I'm there. I'm being helpful. I'm teaching. I'm not an elder. I'm submitting to the elders. I'm doing whatever I can to be helpful. And they call a pastor, and um, it's, it's about this about that time that I got involved with disaster relief. I'm not even sure who introduced me to disaster relief, but I go to the training and I go to the chaplaincy training and there's, there's me and another guy um, that don't have membership because there's one thing that this NAM missionary failed to realize that there's a Baptist distinctive about church membership. Like, that's what Baptists are about. They're about regenerate, baptized membership that's kind of our thing and he was like he taught his elders you know the word membership's not in the bible so there's no membership something and that is a ridiculous argument there's membership in the bible when paul writes to the church at ephesus that's it it's supposed to be the people that attend the church he's not writing to the building He's not writing to the Gentiles that were worshiping Dinah. Did he use the word Trinity? <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so, sorry that these answers are so long, but. Okay. So I want to be a chaplain of disaster relief, and in the training they look straight at me and the other guy, and they say, you are not a member at a church, a Southern Baptist church, so you, you, can, you can do the training, but you can't serve. So that is not going to work. I, I want to be a chaplain. So I need to find a church that is going to give me membership. And the elders were, were not budging. They're not like, well, we could do membership for you. No problem. We'll do membership. They're, they're 
sold out. They're like, no, nah, membership's not in the Bible. We're not going to do it. So I show up here at in the office right right across the hallway here okay. with Russ, and I say, I'm a believer, I'm baptized, and I need to be a member of your church. So Russ is like, whoa, pump the brakes. I don't even know you, and I'm just going to be, you're going to be a member of this church? So that usually doesn't happen, by the way. Nobody just shows up to a Baptist church and go, I want to be a member. You know, you have to always talk them into it, you know, especially in this culture. Yep. Like, mm, I don't know, I was a member of a church sounds before. sounds like a commitment. It, it, it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was spiritual abuse and stuff. So anyway, yeah. so anyway, I... I come here. I want. I want Calvinistic. I'm a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. I'm the kind of guy they want to put in a cage. Actually, I just love. I love the doctrines of grace. I love talking about them. It has a lot to do, actually, with imputation, because mm-hmm. I believe that Christ lived only for His people, mm-hmm. and I think He died only for His people too. Mm-hmm. I think that's all part of the new covenant plan is he's going to be fully human for the church and be fully God at the same time. I mean, it is two natures, one person here. And that's his plan. That's that's the plan in the incarnation is to take on flesh and to live uh, the life they couldn't, but they should have. We all should have kept the law perfectly just like he did, but we failed and he knew we were going to fail, and so and he knows it's still a requirement, and so he comes and does that requirement. And that's, in the book, I, I make this um, illustration from, like, Jesus died at 33 years old because he needed to do everything the Father asked him to do, apparently for 33 years. Like, he needed to be tempted in every way. He needed to obey the will of the Father. His will needed to line up with the Father's will perfectly as a human. Obviously, there's only one will of God, um, but as a human. Um, you know, that's and, something that stood out in this chapter as well, is without even saying it, uh, there's this line on page 281. My trust, you, you write, my trust is in a big God who does what he wants, when he wants, and however he wants. And mm. of course, that's, I think the sense I got out of the chapters that you're really trusting in his work, that he has particular people and you're just trying to facilitate in any way you can in calling those people out into the, the true church, the Christian church. You're right. Um, so I think that does, of course, play a big part. Does that help you stay? Like, why do you stay in Yeah, there you go. That's good. That's good. That's a good application <laughs> of that theology. So along the journey, um, I'm reading Puritans and I'm becoming Reformed. I'm reading my Bible. So for for all that the that church that I grew up in, um, I mean, grew it up since I was twenty eight. You know that I was a part of. I, eventually, I just had to leave, and I had to find a reformed church. And when I got here, I thought I just have to find a reformed church. There's, I just need to hear it. I I don't need to sit under. If I have to, great. I mean, you do what you 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 do what you need to do when you get to the mission field to survive. You need to be flexible. But if you can have have it, and so I heard that First Baptist Provo had had hired a Calvinist, Russ Robinson, and they weren't saying it in a good way. They're like, "Oh, <laughs> Calvinists have taken over First Baptist Provo." I'm like, "Oh, what? I'm so excited!" Yeah. And they're like, "You're not supposed to be excited. Why are you excited?" But I was, and so I'm just, yeah. 
And uh, I convince Russ when I when I get here that you need to be preaching imputation. He's like, I think you're right. I think you're right. And so yeah, that was that was the other thing. That's the other drum I beat. The other side of the same drum, maybe. I was drumming. Um, God lived and died for His people, and He's going to find every last one of them. And we're just out here seeing what we can do. Uh, if we can find one too, you know, He's going to save somebody. He's in the business of of reconciling people to Himself, or you know, He's doing it. And so we just get out here and do it. And so that does that does help me stay here. Is if He chooses to do it today through me, great. If He doesn't get up and go out the next day. You know, I mean, yeah. you just got to keep going. You know, this is someone who has left. What we've needed, and this is me thanking you, men like you, men like Russ, Brendan, Jason Wallace, others, is we need Christians who are faithful. That's all we need. Mm-hmm. Be faithful, be here, bring continuity to this displaced place, this isolated mm-hmm. spiritual wasteland. And, you know, pray God pours out his spirit on his people that are here. I think yeah. your approach in this chapter is a, it's a good, quick, to the point approach to any LDS at any level of education, any level of dedication, because ultimately it puts the real Jesus and his finished work in this at the center of mm-hmm. the conversation. So I, I thank you for writing this chapter. You know, Pastor Wallace was such an encouragement when I finally met him. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I had met a lot of Baptist pastors that found out that I went out and preached on the street corner at General Conference, and they were like, no, no, don't be doing that. Not only is it not honoring to God, you are hurting the work. Like our churches, the implication would be our churches would be filled with XLDS if it wasn't for those street preachers at General Conference. And I thought, that cannot be true. But you think it's true. And this is very hurtful. And it's coming from my own, my folks, you know, my Southern Baptist convention folks. And so it was very difficult within my own convention to find any kind of encouragement. And then they meet Jason Wallace. <laughs> Just like, oh, can I hug you? <laughs> You're where? Magna, that's a long way. I'm never going to be around you. This, this sucks. <laughs> so when he came down here to try to plant a church, I'm like, I'm there. I was here. Wow. Every si- uh, Sunday evening, I was mm-hmm. here. I was like, I want to be around this guy. So I love your pastor. He's a great guy. Um, there are guys like that, so you need to know the, these people, even if you don't go to their churches or whatever. But so, and then you read. You, so this is the reason I brought it up is you need to realize that nobody that I know of really has a huge ministry that happened within a couple of years. It happened over twenty years, thirty years. Um, Lee Whitworth done it. Um, Payson uh, Bible, another guy, been here for a way long time. Uh, I think Nathaniel um, Hall has been here a way long time. Alpine Bible. So any of these works, these are these are these are works that I would point out that they have their own building and they have their sustaining budget. Like it takes forever if you're coming out with 
ooh, I just love church planting, and I just love all these church planting, and I took all the church planting classes and at Southeastern, and I'm jazz, and I got a partner, and we're coming out, and then they just burn out because the church didn't get planted so quickly. Well, no one's did. Everybody's going through the same thing. They gained seven people last year, but they lost four. It's just, that's, that's the story of, of Christian church here in, in the area, whether it's Provo or, or Salt Lake. There are some big churches, but it, it took a long, it took a long time to get there. And, um, and then you might be involved with churches that failed. Um, the one in Santa Quinn that I was involved with failed. Crossings ended up failing. I was a part of a, I'm a trustee at another one, Redeemer Orm. Uh, it failed. Um, yeah, you're still here. <laughs> but they're not. Yeah. So sometimes uh, the idea that churches never get disbanded you need to get rid of that idea. I mean, it's even biblical. There's like, what, five of them in Revelation? They all failed. You can go to those places today. There's not a church. There's not even a city there. These places are ruins. Like, it. you need to come with the attitude, whatever God wants, whenever he wants, and, and just jump in there and be a part of it. And if the church takes off and it survives, if it's like the church in Segovia that's still thriving, 50 years, 40 years after Ron Blue left, great. If it's multiplying and there's several churches now in the state of Savagovia, Spain, great. If it's not, okay, well, then that's what God wanted to do. But yeah, if he wants you to stay, then stay. If he wants you to leave here and retire in Miami on the beach, then go do that. But I mean, honestly, your life is just, it's like a vapor. It's just going to be over with so quickly. Wouldn't it be exciting to live somewhere hard and just keep keep plugging away and keep being encouraging and just grab the next guy and go out on the street and share Jesus and just keep going. Just keep going and meeting that next person that needs to know Jesus. Who is that next person? I write their names down in a book too. Maybe you need a journal. I have a little black book. And I write their name down in something, you know, like, was it a BYU student? I'll write BYU. I'll write the month that I was out there, their name, maybe where they served a mission or something about them that might trigger. And every once in a while, I go back to that book and, and I just pray through those names and I pray through and I can see their faces and I just allow my heart and my emotions to be stirred with the idea that God used me to proclaim his excellence to that person. Don't know where they are. Don't know what's going on. But I got to share Jesus with that person. That person can't show up on Judgment Day and say, well, you never sent anybody to me. No, I did send somebody to you. Can we play the clip? Can we play the tape? It's probably a VHS. Heaven. He's like, <laughs> boom. So come here, just be willing to just take a job, do anything. Um, when I showed up at the church in Santa Quinn, I needed money because I didn't raise money. I was a knucklehead missionary, didn't know that you're supposed to raise money when you come. And the cabinet maker goes, anything about making cabinets? No. Well, come down to the shop 
and he found something in the cabinet shop that I was able to do, and he hired me. And that was because it was a local church. So get involved in your local church because you're coming to a place you don't know anybody, and you may not have marketable skills. You may need them. And uh, when times got short at the cabinet shop, he went to his buddy that he grew up with around here that had a janitorial services. And so here I am with a master's degree thinking way highly of myself. (laughs) God's gift at Utah. And I'm scrubbing toilets so that I can go buy groceries so that me and my wife and my newborn child can eat. You got to become and do whatever you need to do. Take whatever job is, comes and just hustle it. Just pour yourself out. And that was humbling because I cleaned toilets for like four years in the evening. And I'm like, why does God have me cleaning toilets? This is not a good use of my time. Almost to the verge of saying, does he even know what he's doing? Mm. Right? Ooh, I was in a bad place. That was not humble. That's not how you serve a master. But one night, one night, Skylar, I'm cleaning the offices and I'm going around and I'm humbled and I'm praying for every one of these people that are at work at the Spanish Fork um, city offices. And one night, the city planner is working overtime. He's there at nine. And I'm like, woo. Good evening, sir. Is it okay that I come in and dust and clean your trash can out? Um, I won't vacuum. I won't disturb you. I just, I didn't know you were here. And he's like, yeah, I am just, I'm having a hard time with this deadline. I'm like, well, just let you know, I'm a Christian and I pray for you. Not every night, but I pray for you a lot. I pray for your family. I see, you know, your wife and your kids on your desk and everything. And I've been praying for you for years. That you just do a good job and you'd be... uh, You'd honor God with your job. And then you'd also come to know Jesus and stuff. But, you know, anyway, and he was like, oh, really? And I didn't think, I just blurted it out. That's, you know, I wasn't bragging or anything, not boasting. I just, just want to let you know. I'll clean, dust up, clean the trash, and I'm out of here. He's like, oh, really? Well, what brought you here? You know, I guess my Texas accent was still thick. And so I said, well, I just, I love Jesus, and I want to tell all these people about Jesus, and there's not very many people living in Fort Worth like that. There's more of them here, so I moved here. You know, I don't, I don't mean that to be offensive in any way or anything. You know, it's, no, no, I didn't tell you it offensively. I thought, okay, yeah. Well, and then he asked me this question, and it totally set me up. He said, um, so how's it going for you? And I said... <laughs> Actually, you know, people are not very nice. <laughs> They'd rather not hear my message. And sometimes they're just like, why do you hate me? Why are you standing out here at my religious event? And, you know, I don't stand outside your church. And they're just, they don't really want to hear my message. And it's kind of hateful. But, you know, I just keep going. I know, I know it's not them. And I was the same way. I didn't like Christians either. And so it's okay. We, that totally set me up with, because now what is he going to say? Like, oh, okay, well, get out of my office. I got stuff to do. <laughs> he felt obligated to go, oh, well, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Sit down. Tell me your message. Wow. Yes. So I'm cleaning toilets for four years for this one 
thing, this one moment, and I share the gospel with this guy, and he's asking for it, and he's supposed to be working, and I'm like, mm, I don't know, you're supposed to be working. Like, I, that's my work ethic, you know? I'm supposed to be talking about Jesus. Um, but I'm like, hey, he asked. So I'm leaning in, and I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening, and everything is just pouring out of me just perfectly, and I'm very succinct, unlike this conversation we're having, like I'm long-winded. <laughs> I didn't take two hours of his night. <laughs> But it was so humbling, and it was just so wonderful. Really, like four weeks of cleaning nasty toilets and trash to get this one conversation. And God was telling me, hey, look, buddy, you work for me. Knock it off. You can't be complaining and whining about how useful you think you are because you're not. Like, he's got a hundred thousand of me's, and like, they're all better than me's, actually. Like, he's like, well, who do I think I am? And I needed that. I needed that. So be ready for that. But it took four years of that before I was ready. So you gotta, you gotta stick in there. You gotta stay. You gotta stay and see what is this awesome God want to do with me. He wanted that one thing, you know. I don't think I even worked that job much longer after than that. Maybe about six months. It was really a pivotal moment in my whole 14 years of staying. Is I showed up really um, prideful and cocky and thinking I'm gonna just I'm gonna do it. And I think maybe maybe that helps some guys who show up with that same attitude. Is, you know, you all guys, you didn't know what to do, you're doing. I'm going to plant a thousand member church and be self supporting with an awesome building within four years. That's my plan. I'm going to do it. Boom. And then when it doesn't happen, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to deal with it. And um, I don't know. God gave me that. And I think within six months, uh, Timothy was moved. He had moved away to Singapore. I wasn't working that job anymore because that job required two people to do that job and I didn't have any, I didn't know anybody. So I had to quit that job and then I quit ministry or I mean, I quit being a pastor. Everything changed after that one meeting with that um, planning guy in the middle of the night, one night, everything changed and I got spanked and that guy got the gospel <laughs> and he didn't accept and I don't know where he is. Right now, I don't know if he's still the city planner at Spanish Fort. Maybe he's listening. I don't know. But, yeah. Do you plan on staying? Yeah. Unless God says, I want you to go somewhere else. you, you got to be flexible. Yeah, I signed up with the attitude of your master. I'm the server, servant. Um, your Lord, I'm a slave. I know exactly what that looks like in the real world. I'm the king. Uh, you're the king, um, I'm not. Like, Keep that attitude no matter where you're at or what you're doing so that he can use you and you're just, you're just usable. Like, here I am, send me. Like, that's, that's the position wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. Um, but yeah, I would, if he sends me somewhere else, and he sends me somewhere else. Yeah. And you just be helpful to the local church and get out there and talk to people about Jesus. You will have so much fun, and you're going to meet people, um, and you're just going to have fun. Yeah. Well, it's that attitude that we just heard 
that I think people need to be out here, sustain how hard it can be. Um, and, and frankly, thank you because it's people like you and Lori that bring a continuity here for people like me, my brother, my mom, right? When we do wake up and most LDS that wake up and leave, go into nothingness, go into, mm. you know, like new age is going to last um, or new atheism is going to be fulfilling. But it's, I mean, you guys are the heroes of the faith here, here in Utah. And part of what I hope to do in these interviews is document these stories mm. uh, for people that don't know and don't know how hard it is. Um, but I just, I'm so grateful for, for how God has used you and for your willingness to be out here, you, you and Lori and um, just, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for writing this excellent chapter. And uh, I hope people will read it and learn from it and just pray that God will pour his spirit on this place. You know, I, uh, I think we're, it, you know, us, Jason, prays this often that one day the people here will tear down these temples themselves hmm. and um, repudiate all that they represent um, and come to Jesus, you know, and join his real church. And it's people like you, Brendan, Russ, Jason, that have brought Christianity out here and keep it out here. For for those people that eventually do start to question and yet want to know the real Jesus mm. rather than the um, counterfeit that they're sold um, by the LDS church mm. or those that compete with the LDS church. Well, I thank God for ex-LDS uh, that come into Christianity like yourself and they're smart and they got their whole world, their whole life ahead of them and... I'm looking forward to stories uh, about where you're going, what you're going to do, and that you're pastoring a church. Oh, so boy. we need more ex LDS pastoring churches, like Not sure about that. like the indigenous people. Yeah, the, it, seems, <laughs> it seems weird to call them indigenous, indigenous people. Yeah, but you're you're of the the people group that we came to, and so we want to see. Well, I want to see. Um, I want to see those guys uh, going off to seminary and getting a good education and coming back and being a light to the people that are here and they are um, pastoring churches or they're, we're sending you off, you know, you're, you're getting ready and prepared and we send you out um, to Tunisia <laughs> and you do well in Tunisia for 50 years and we get to visit you and eat camel and, uh, <laughs> and some hummus and just gather around the table and go, Oh, remember when we were freezing and uh, <laughs> sharing the gospel out <laughs> in downtown Provo. And that guy threw a slushy on us and was even older, colder. And yeah. you know, just what has happened to you and um, how close you came to death uh, because you offended a Muslim or something. I want those stories. I want the ex ex Mormons to come to know Jesus and then they get to be, get to be known and do awesome wonderful things all well, over the globe. That's our, that's my prayer. Well, if I well, so. thank you. And even if I don't have a plan, I think Ed Romine does for me. So we will, yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll bring him on to talk about that. But, 
But John, it's been a pleasure talking and um, thanks again. Thank you for writing this You're chapter. Welcome. Thank you for being out here for so long. Thank you and, and your wife. Okay. Maybe we'll have to have both of you on sometime. Well. Talk, talk DTS. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, you've been listening to Distinctive Christianity and we hope you enjoyed the story and we'll talk to you next time.